but yeah, over the years, once in a while, we'll meet somebody that just seems to defy every rule there is, right? Um, and they sound amazing. And, you know, you can't argue with results, right? So it's fun to talk about the theories and the science and the approach insofar as it can actually help us. But at some point, the results are what matters the most. And if somebody can skin that cat a different way and get there, you know, more power to them. That's great. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Rich Wetzel. Rich, well, he's all about putting in the work. Whether it's in the practice room or in the gym, Rich understands the importance of having a strategic approach if you want to achieve dramatic improvements. Rich has proven himself as a powerful lead trumpet player, a successful salesman, and most recently, as an award-winning bodybuilder. Rich is a living testament that you're never too old to recreate your mind, your body, and your life. So, praise love a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. All right, and uh, it's time for yet another Trumpet Guru's Hang. And this week, I am joined by an old friend. Uh, not that he's that old, but uh, he's old. It's uh, Rich Wetzel. What's going on, big man? Uh, you know, just having a great time trying to, uh, like everybody else, coming out of the COVID thing. So the band is finally starting to play again. And it was a weird time for a lot of people, I know hardly anything going on for almost two years but yeah it's starting to happen again so we'll just get things going and have some fun again yeah absolutely man it's it's i was just actually having that conversation with someone today um that and they're they're not a musician we were we were just talking about uh the the social media and, and things like this like you know doing podcasting and 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 that sort of stuff and how so many people have got got into the space during COVID, uh, mm-hmm. because everybody was looking for a way to um, you know, keep the creativity fresh and to stay connected with people. And now that things have hopefully <laughs> opened fully, uh, but you know, hey, we was just yeah, still time. Um, so many people have now backed out. You know, it's like okay, well, that was a fun project to do while I was you know, you know stuck in the house. But but now, it, yeah, they they're they've kind of stepped away. And yeah, I mean, I can understand the fatigue with it, but still it's like, wow, I've personally have noticed how uh, the impact that, that things like this show and other things have made on people's lives because uh, it's providing them the connection and the services that they don't get when they're out traveling. But I think it still needs to stay to some degree because, you know, it, it shows that there is a, there is a, a need for this kind of uh, approach to things. So uh, but still, man, nothing beats playing. <laughs> nothing beats yeah. stage. No, it's you know, it's it's amazing because I was um, I agree with all of that. You know, that's it's another way for us to stay connected with each other and to hear about things that our friends, some of our heroes, other musicians, other artists, whatever your field of endeavor is. Um, but yeah, I I remember I was talking to Arturo. Actually, he he was up here in Seattle recently. And, you know, he talked about the whole COVID thing and how, you know, even for him, there was 
that kind of that long spell where hardly any shows were happening. And so, you know, he was making the time to practice at home and being more diligent about it, I think, than maybe some of us. And I had all kinds of great intentions at the beginning. I'm like, okay, this will last a few months. I'll just practice like I did when I was in college. I'll practice all day and it'll be great. And then it dragged on and on and on. And there was hardly any gigs. It was even difficult finding places that would let us rehearse because I used to be an adjunct faculty at uh, Tacoma Community College. And for a long time, I had a relationship with them that I could take my group in there, even though I was no longer associated with the school and rehearse on, on weekends. Well, then they closed it down to no off-campus groups. So, you know, that was weird. And, and Arturo, you know, he, he was making lots of, you know, videos of him practicing and writing at home and, and just keeping his creativity going. But he said the same thing that I noticed, too, and I'm sure you can relate, everybody can relate to this. You know, those first couple of gigs is brutal. You know, there's like a difference between practice room chops and gig chops. And um, so, you know, we got through our first few. I feel like I'm kind of coming back. The guys are coming back, but it was it was surreal. That just went on so long. But, you know, in the meantime, uh, I've always been a little bit into the bodybuilding thing. Also, when I was a lot younger, I was, and then I kind of came back to it uh, about five years ago in my mid-50s. Um, so I, I poured myself more into that for a while just to keep myself busy. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of parallels, I think, to trumpet playing and, and, and bodybuilding or any physical, you know, activity because, you know, you're training, you're trying to train smart, figure out how to get better at it. And you need to be consistent, do it over a matter of time for it to all start to pay off. And, and it's been a fun way to fill the void. Plus I have a passion for it, just like the music. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of, my, one of my favorite sayings is how you do anything is how you do everything. And, yeah. and there's, there's this, this truth that exists uh, that um, success is, uh, it, it's a learned skill, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, people that have a passion for, you know, something like we do in, in terms of, of being trumpet players, um, you know that you have to make this investment in yourself if you wish to gain the, the, the results that you want, bodybuilding being the same thing, martial arts being the same thing, uh, or, or you know, any, any kind of, 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 of thing that you're doing where you're trying to acquire a specific skill set. And I think sometimes it, it's hard for people to grasp uh, how you can do multiple things because they feel like, well, you know, I'm cheating myself. If I'm, not, if I'm in the gym, then I'm not practicing, and that's not a good thing. Or if I'm, you know, so whatever they, they feel like you, it's an either or, as opposed to it's, it, it, it's something that, that feeds itself because things like doing physical exercise, obviously they have, they have cognitive benefits. Uh, you know, you have the, the general physical health benefits, you have emotional benefits, mental benefits. Uh, and sometimes I think we run into to stumbling blocks when we're running into a problem. Like if you're running into a problem with, with your trumpet, that you can actually find a solution when you're training physically, because as, as you start to go through, like, oh, I got to really pay attention to when I'm doing this rep that I, I'm really focused on keeping the tension. Oh, it's like my aperture. Damn it. So it's the same thing, you know? And I think sometimes that, that when we want to make a breakthrough in what we are primary, sometimes it's, it's adding those uh, connected studies and practices to our lives that will actually enrich 
uh, the development of our of our musical skills. So, I mean, have you found that to be the case for yourself where you've had like kind of an aha moment in the gym that maybe you go, eh, maybe I should apply this principle in my trumpet playing. You know, it, it actually goes both ways, you know? So um, with the gym stuff, you know, the same thing, even with practicing and trying to get better at trumpet, right? Um, you know, it, it's a matter of doing the correct form, practicing, you know, trumpet playing, figuring out, well, what volume should I practice and, and how much should I do soft practice? How much should I push it a little bit? How much should I, you know, uh, play certain kinds of music? How should I play other kinds of music? And how can I mix this up to get better and more well-rounded? And it's the same thing in the gym. And then if you have a little bit of an injury, okay, how do I overcome that? And how do I minimize the peaks and valleys of my peak performance versus maybe a little less than peak performance? And I do see similar patterns. Same thing in the gym, same thing with my trumpet. And um, so I try to just have a real consistent approach. I try to, you know, minimize those peaks and valleys, but hopefully it, in general, keep going up. Um, and when you get hurt, you figure out, well, how do I work around it without aggravating the injury, right? You know, if you overdo something and, you know, you just like, you, you beat the hell out of your chops on some rock gig or Latin gig and, you know, your chops are a little swollen. Well, maybe you'll do something different today or the next day, right? And work around it and just kind of get recovered again. And same thing in the gym, you know, it's, you get hurt a little bit or you've overdone it. Well, just shift gears, figure out how to work around it and recover. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And actually that brings up a kind of a, a question. I, I think it's interesting, you know, you, the audience may not think it, but who cares? No, I'm just kidding folks. Uh, but you know there there's this the school of thought that you need to practice every day and you know i i i've you know had that in my head i had it in my head but then also having a background in you know elite level physical training sports training and things like that there's no elite level athlete that trains every day I agree. None. Everybody, and, and everybody's got a rest period. Uh, now, sometimes it's only a day. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it might be a month, depending on, on the sport, what your body needs to, to recuperate. And sometimes I feel like, like for myself, that if I practice every day and then and, and I'm not careful about it, that I actually start to see a diminishing return because my body hasn't gotten a chance to really uh, rest and recover and understanding the nature of, of you know, the way the, the muscles build and you know, the need to have that recovery period. Um, I mean, I find for myself that every, you know, taking a day off here and there is, is way more beneficial than, than trying to, to say, well, you know, I've got to practice every day for you know, three years. Uh, so, I mean, do, how, how do you feel about that based on your understanding of uh, anatomy and physiology and the physical aspect of, of muscle building and strength training as it relates to trumpet playing? Because, I mean, it's, it, it, we're, we're working with such small muscles and yeah. such concentrated work that, you know, it, do, do, you, do you buy into that concept that we have to practice every day or do you have a, a rest period that you build into your playing? No, you know, it's, I've come to that same conclusion uh, that you have, actually. And it's funny because we all grew up as young men playing the trumpet, you know, through high school and, and, and for a number of years beyond that, where we thought, and everybody was always beating it in your head, you got to practice every single day. You can't ever take a day off. 
and a lot of us get to the point where we're just ridiculous with it you know like you take it with you on vacation or thank god my wife loves me i took it with me on my goddamn honeymoon right <laughs> so, you know it's like i couldn't even take any time off on that and you know as i got older and i was getting more and more deeply into like the physical training the bodybuilding and, and realizing some of the same principles that um you have to have some recovery time you have to have some rest time as well and i started noticing that i could do that with the trumpet and like you said occasionally not taking half the week off all the time but you know i might take a day off a week or once in a while i just need a vacation just mentally emotionally physically i just want to get away from it for a couple days or a few days or whatever and I seem to come back stronger. I feel better. Um, same thing when you structure your practice during the day. You know, when you're younger, sometimes you're a knucklehead and you try to practice like two hours straight without a stop. And then at some point you finally figure out, well, wait a minute. If I do this and then I rest 10 minutes, I do that, rest 15 minutes, I do this, rest an hour, and then come back and do that, that actually works better. You know, and, and so same thing like with a gym, you know, in bodybuilders, over the years, their training has changed. There was a while, a period of time where maybe back in the 70s, a lot of guys were training, you know, six days a week and they would just take one day off. And then, you know, Mike Minster came along and Dorian Yates came along and they started training like two days on, one off. Or they would do a four day split and take three days off, right? So, and they looked amazing. And they had, uh, they would work out really hard on the hard days. And then they had time to recover on the recovery days. I remember another analogy with trumpet playing, uh, a, a guy, a real dear friend, and he was, uh, I had the benefit of growing up in Southern California and studying trumpet with Walt Johnson for a while. Monster, monster trumpet player, lead player, great, you know, just a wonderful person. And he told me, even like, even when he was in Vegas and, and doing a lot of studio stuff in LA, he would alternate, he'd have what he called a hard day and an easy day of his practice. The hard day he'd push, you know, some of the really difficult technical ranged things and, you know, just really go for it. And then he'd have kind of an easy practice where it was just a little bit more modern, just kind of laying back a little bit. And that alternating thing, instead of every day banging it, worked better for him. And, and it makes sense. So, yeah, I think those principles do apply, whether it's, you know, any kind of elite physical activity or even playing the trumpet. We all want to be consistent. We all want to be good. But we all need to also realize it's not just um, uh, an emotional, spiritual thing. It's also a physical thing. And your body does need some time to recover. So being smart about it, you know, kind of push a little bit, give yourself a little break, push a little bit, give yourself a break, maybe take a day off. If you had a particularly big weekend of gigs and just playing a lot of hard, high note stuff, you know, and, and then come back the next day and, and you're back on it. So, yeah, I, I believe in that. Yeah, and I mean, like concepts like periodization training and like you're talking about splits and stuff like that. Um, I I think it, physically we need to do that because, you know, we need, we need to have the recovery. But also, like you were saying, like the mental and emotional side of it is like sometimes you just need to get a break, you know, mm -hmm. because you're just, you're getting frustrated, you're getting uh, obsessive, whatever it is. It's like, okay, well, you know, maybe I, I need to, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I really need to, I really need to hit my, my range of endurance stuff. But, you know, on, on the off days, I'm either not going to play or I'm just going to do, you know, some long tones or I'm going to do lyrical studies or whatever. But 
it's not it, it's that confusion of consistency the idea of consistency of being uh like a habitual re almost religious pattern that we yeah. go through that i must do this every day as opposed to i just have to consistently get a little bit of face time and, yeah no i you know i i agree with you completely and um yes yeah, same principle so like bodybuilding when you have a split routine you know you you might do a push day or a pull day or might be chest and triceps one day back and biceps another day so you're still in the gym you're still doing activity but you're doing something different to work on different parts and give the other part a little bit of a break one of my favorite ways to practice i had a trumpet teacher uh in la uh, while i was in college uh, for a while um, and his name was bob valley and uh he was kind of like a rock and roll version of claude gordon right but he had a very unique way he would structure your, your practice and your lessons. So there was a, a physical lesson, which was kind of like warm up range, compression, all this kind of stuff. Then there was the improv lesson, which was working on your improvisation. Then there was a focus lesson where he would have you focus on playing a set of lead charts as if you were on a gig, simulating being on a gig. And you'd, you'd play like seven or eight charts, you know, like about 45 minutes of music as if you were on a gig, you'd rest an hour and then you come back and play your technical lesson. So every week you would rotate those lessons. You would, one lesson, we just do the, the physical lesson. The next week we would do the improv lesson. The next week we would do the focus, like playing lead charts. The next week we would do the technical lesson, all the Arbins and Mitchell and Charles Colin and all that stuff. But in terms of your daily practice, it mixed things up. So one day you're doing physical and improv. The next day you're doing focus, lead charts, and then technical, you know, with a, about an hour break in between. And that alternating, it, it kept your mind fresh. It kept your chops fresh. And I think I got a lot more done than just being dogmatic that I will do this one lesson every single day and nothing will vary, right? You know, so I think it's a good approach whether it's trumpet playing or anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you, and you've, you've had uh, over your years, you've, you've had a lot of experience with a lot of different cats, you know, whether it be with the lessons that you've taken or just uh, the relationships that you built as a, uh, you know, your, your former position with, uh, with Con Selmer Bach. Um, and I know you in that you love to talk, you love to hang, you love to absorb information. So, you know, when you, when you think about some of the people that have influenced you, uh, you already talked about Walt, uh, but I also know that, that uh, like the Frank Muneer, uh method was something that, that you, were, you and I had talked about uh, to, to a great degree. Uh, and I know that that's impacted the way that you approach the, the trumpet. So I mean, how did you meet Frank? And, and, and for people who aren't hip to that concept, can you maybe you know elucidate a little bit on on what Frank's method was and and how it could be beneficial to, to players? Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I actually met Frank when I moved up here to the Northwest. And for people who don't who are not familiar with Frank Minear's history, uh, besides being one of the most amazing music music educators in the Northwest for many decades and and really beloved by the entire community, he was a monster trumpet player, an amazing lead trumpet player. And he had gone out, you know, years ago as a young man with Sammy Davis Jr. and Stan Kenton and, and different people. And then, you know, he got married, settled down, but he still always played all kinds of stuff around the Northwest for many, many years. And 
his thought process, which was really eye-opening for me, was not everything has to be blastissimo when you're working on range and high notes and lead charts and stuff like that. And his concept was you need to do a fair amount of soft playing, like, you know, maybe even not just mezzo forte, but maybe pianissimo. And so, you know, there would be times we'd be playing through lead charts, just, you know, just playing it real soft. And the idea was to focus your aperture so you're not spread so far open. And you get used to being able to play at that easier volume with a little bit less effort. And then when you're at the rehearsal or gig and you want a little more power, now it just feels like it just takes a little more air and it opens up like crazy. Whereas when I was a young kid and stupid, right, I'm trying to play everything as loud as I can and your chops start to spread apart. Your aperture gets too wide and all of a sudden you're limiting your range. You're limiting your overall sound and your dynamic ability because you're just playing too loud all the time. So that was Frank's thing, was hipping you to the value of doing some soft practice, getting your aperture together. And when I did that, that's when I finally started being able to play double Cs and stuff. Because forever, I, I felt like I'm just a high G guy. That's it. I got a loud G and then nothing, right? And so, you know, he, he kind of hit me to that the first few times I took a lesson with him. And so we, get, we go through his routine and I get to the end and say, well, uh, I go, now what? I should add some weight. I should, you know, do some other things. He goes, well, how do you feel? I go, I feel great. And he goes, you're done. And so I, I still, even though I, I do add some other things into my practice now, again, after all these years, I do apply his principle a lot where, you know, I'm not blasting all the time, even on the power stuff or the range stuff. I'm kind of cruising and just, I want it to work right. I want the mechanics right. I want it to feel good so that, you know, when I do need that extra, it just takes a little bit of stepping on the gas and it opens up and it sounds way better and it feels easier, which is a good thing. We want it to feel easier, not harder than it has to. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, when did I first get hip to that? Uh, it was, it was years before I met you and I, then I, I, someone has like given me a copy of the book. Uh, but then, you know, when I met you, uh, we, and we talked a little bit more about it, I got a little better insight into it. Um, and I still kind of go back and forth. It's like, oh, you know, maybe for a few months, that's, that's my go-to for my daily practice. And then yeah. I just, I'll walk away from it. And then, like you said, you know, find that, that my chops start to spread a little bit more. And then that's a good way to remind myself to just bring everything in and in a comprehensive package. So, I mean, anybody out there who, who, who hasn't already checked it out, I, I strongly suggest you check out uh, his method book because it just, it's a good all around daily practice routine because uh, mm -hmm. you know, it covered, it covers, you know, all the bases. So, uh, but you know, that idea of having that, that more focused aperture, you know, so many people I've talked to recently, uh, like in, saying in the past, you know, five years, 10 years, uh, that seems to be the mantra for most people. You know, it's like play softer, you know, uh, like, you know, Faddis, uh talks about that a lot. Louis Dowdswell talks about that a lot. You know, uh, so many people that, uh, you know, Roger, uh, Roger Ingram, you know, it's all about, you know, don't play so loud, especially when practicing the upper register, just play softer, you know, without 
without constraining, but just, you know, just as light as you can. And it's so counterintuitive because most, yeah. you know, most <laughs> of us have the meathead mentality. I mean, I was the same yeah. way when I was in high school, I had a G as big as a house, but there was, you know, then, you know, there was nothing, you know, it, yeah, it, after it, that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was the same. I was exactly the same. It was just, it was just stupid. And then when Frank showed that to me, I'm like, it was, you know, just really, truly a light bulb moment. Like, oh my God, all these years I've been doing like the opposite of what I should have been doing. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, one of the things that, that, that you mentioned earlier about like, uh, you know, gig chops, you know, practicing chops and, and gig chops. Um, I think something that's something that we don't really think about in terms of structuring our practice is to practice like to spend some time practicing like you're going to perform mm -hmm. you know and uh you know it, it's there's certainly it, it's the dichotomy that exists because you certainly need to take rest you need to take you know breaks when you're practicing you need to do smaller chunks so you can stay focused but then you also need to be able to do those 45 one hour sets mm -hmm. just you know bang 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 so if it, much like with sports you know to kind of keep on that sports analogy um you know like you you can have like if you're playing football you're going to have uh you know you have a training you know a training film day you know so you're going to sit there you're going to you're going to review the last game and figure out what was wrong uh maybe do some planning and then you'll have some light pad practice but then before the game yeah at some point during that week you're going to have a full practice you know, because you, you've got to be able to perform all those small things that you've been doing in that larger context before you get out on the field. And I think sometimes as players, we miss out on that of, you know, if you, once you're out of college, you know, once you're out of high school or college and you have, you know, band rehearsals, if you're just, you know, a working freelancer, you need to be able to spend time simulating the nature of a gig. So. Yeah, and especially if you're in a season or a part of the year that, you know, whether it's COVID or just life in general, where you've got a gap that you're not doing, you know, two or three rehearsals and two or three gigs during the week, uh, which, you know, that's the ideal situation, right? So you've got your practicing that you're doing, and if you're playing two or three or four nights a week, either in a rehearsal or a gig, that's like the perfect combination of, of like gig type chops and practice room chops. And that's when you feel your best. When you don't have that much going on outside of your own practice, you have to try to simulate a little bit more often some kind of gig thing. And so that's the thing I liked about what, what Bob Valley would have us play like lead charts every other day. So maybe like three days out of the week, not back to back, but okay, I'm going to play a 45 minute set of big band lead trumpet parts. And I'm going to play it just like I'm on the gig and I'm going to count the rest. I'm going to do the whole thing and, and just go through it just like I'm on a gig. Um, I think there's value to that. And, I, and now I remember when I tried to outsmart, it, I thought, well, this three days a week is pretty good. Well, six days would be even better. Well, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I needed that, that variety of practicing and, and covering different material and playing different ways. And so when I went back to like, okay, I'll do it like, you know, two or three days a week, I'll have a day off in between playing these lead charts. Boom, a million times better. So, yeah, it, it's, it's funny, because you have to find that delicate balance, you know, mm -hmm. 
and you know what and and it is very much about what works for you both in terms of your your physiology and your mental uh, capacity and I don't, I don't you know mean that, that you, you're a dummy or anything like that but but the way that your brain is is wired uh, because for some of us you know we we thrive on the challenge you know, yeah there's, there's that you know you just can't you feel the need to just constantly push your limits um, and some people that's that's not the case so you've yeah. got to find you've got to find what works best for you uh, if you want to get the best result and yeah. I think having experimentation yeah, experimentation is great and and being able to to uh, meet and talk and study with as many people as possible because uh, nobody's got the all the answers no no and and you're right some people some people's bodies and minds respond differently so you know i think there's certain general principles that make sense like generally speaking you know don't blast everything as loud as you can every day i think that normally applies to most people yeah. i think having a variety of things that you practice and mixing it up i think is a universally good thing for most people but yeah over the years once in a while we'll meet somebody that just seems to defy every rule there is right um, and they sound amazing. And, you know, you can't argue with results, right? So it's fun to talk about the theories and the science and the approach insofar as it can actually help us. But at some point, the results are what matters the most. And if somebody can spin that cat a different way and get there, you know, more power to them. That's great. Uh, you know, the, the guy who always blows my mind still to this day, uh, Lynn Nicholson, you know, a good friend and great one of my heroes as a young man, young trumpet player, he's been basically retired for, I don't know how many decades, and he still sounds freaking amazing. And, and he has the mechanics down so perfectly that he doesn't have to practice, you know, hours a day, every single day. And he'll just pick up the horn and he sounds like, like he's ready to go out and play a show. I mean, all the time. And, and He'll, he'll go out hiking with his wife and he comes back and he there's just something about him where he has it all dialed in just perfect uh and he sounds amazing well how can you argue with that it it, it works for him <laughs> and then uh, the rest of us mere mortals have to uh have to toil away yeah yeah, yeah. well and, and and that's i mean that's the truth of it you know is that you got to find your path and i think that's where you know things like uh you know like the hang, whether it be this hang uh, or the hangs that we do at, at uh, events and things like that, that's where it becomes really interesting because you get to get a different insight to uh, the approaches that you can take on the instrument. And sometimes all it takes is one small thing. And generally that's it. It's, it's usually a really, really small thing. And by applying that or changing your mindset to, to, to fix that, that small issue, it just opens up the door to so much potential that was that was trapped previously. So, yeah. um, I mean, other than the soft playing, I mean, have, have there been any kind of major aha moments for you in, in terms of uh, you know your development as a player? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, I think um, other things would include, um, you know, like I said, figuring out that mixing up my practice and not being overly regimented about the exact material, not doing the same material every single day. For me, that works better, just as far as my mind, my attention, and physically. Um, Over the years, you know, we all figure out what equipment works for us or doesn't work for us. And that evolves, I think, as we evolve as players and as we age. Um, I remember uh, as a young man, when I was really obsessed with, you know, my heroes like Maynard Ferguson and Lynn Nicholson and John Faddis and Bill Chase and, you know, all those guys. And um, for a while, you know, like a lot of guys, you know, I, I was playing a pretty big horn, you know, large horn horn, but I was playing a small mouthpiece. And then uh, there was a point maybe during the 90s where uh, I thought, I'm going to just see how efficient I can get. I'm going to just try and learn to play a smaller, smaller, smaller mouthpiece. And, and I really took it to kind of an extreme for a little bit. Um, and I, at one point, you know, it was, from one perspective, it was good. I could play all these long phrases in the altissimo register and and just never seem to run out of air. And then... Um, I remember one one real turning point. Uh, Arturo Sandoval came up and he played a, a show with my band. And um, originally, I told him, "Hey, you know, we can play some of your charts. Or here, here's a list of all these things that I have in my library and a lot of features and stuff." And I said, "You play, and I'll just conduct the band." And Arturo goes, "Oh no, you play, then I play." Oh fuck! Right, and so. For like three months, I practiced like I, like way more than I had in a long time. And I had what for me, knock on wood, was one of my best days for me. And played well and I was pretty happy. And my friends, even the guys in the band were like, holy crap, Rich, you know, and you're killing it. And, and at one point, Arturo even said something really nice to the trombone player about this ending condense I did on the screaming version of La Virgin de Macarena. And as good as I felt, as good as it sounded, once he came up and started playing, it's like the sound went from here to like this, right? And at that point, I thought, okay, maybe I've gone too far on the small thing, right? And maybe I need to kind of come back the other direction and try to help open my sound up a little bit. And so then I kind of came back playing bigger and bigger mouthpieces to the point where, again, like a lot of habits and things I've done, I probably went too far and I started playing like, you know, one and a half C rim with a medium cup and, and, you know, and playing all these Maynard charts. And, and now that I'm almost 61 and after the whole COVID thing, um, I'm practicing trying to get it back together so the band could go out and play a three hour gig, right. Of lots of rock charts and Maynard charts and stuff. And I thought, you know what, I just feel too tired playing this giant ass mouthpiece. <laughs> so I kind of compromised. I went back in between to um, 
Marcinkowitz had one that was an E7, which is, I don't know, maybe like a Bobby Shoe 1.5, similar to that, Marcinkowitz. And um, I said, I'm just going to practice on this until I feel comfortable again. And so now I, I feel like I've kind of got that me middle ground, which at this point in my career works better for me physically. It sounds good. And just the way I feel and just life, how it is today works better for me. So those are some other aha moments, you know, figuring out that kind of stuff. Um, you know, then um, I would say another aha moment, like when you're, you're kind of coming up as an artist or a player. Um, I remember after the first CD I did, right? Um, and a little bit after the second one also. Um, you know, you had a lot of people that were excited and, and loved the music, were very supportive of it. And then, you know, we all remember sites like the Trumpet Herald and and things like that. And then there inevitably would be some haters, some trolls, just like, you know, who does he think he is and blah, blah, blah. And right at first, I let that really get to me. I was like, man, this sucks. My feelings are hurt, you know? And um, then I talked to uh, Bobby Shue and Arturo kind of told me the same thing that, you know what? You got a great band, you're playing great music, you're helping to keep this stuff alive, you're out there doing it. And some of the guys criticizing it, they aren't, you know, they're just haters. And, and they told me they even would get that kind of nonsense. I mean, they're like the greatest players in the world. They're like on a whole other level than the rest of us. And they even get some of that stuff. So I thought, well, then who in the hell am I to not have to deal with some of that crap. And I got to a point where I really took the attitude that, you know what, uh, I love what I'm doing. I'm having fun with these other musicians. Our fans seem to love it. If you dig it, great. And if you don't, I don't give a fuck, right? I just, I just, I quit caring about that. And that was the most liberating moment when you say, you know what, I'm going to do this because I love it. I'm going to do it you know, on a very high level, and we're all going to have fun. If you dig it, great. Let's have fun. If you don't, that's okay. See you later. You know, you don't need to listen. You don't need to come to a show, and you don't need to say anything. Just you know, and that's a, yeah, that's one of the things that amazes me. It's like you know, the, where where people feel the the necessity to chime in on things that um, either they have very limited knowledge about. Um, or where it's not providing any substantial contribution to the conversation. Yeah. yeah. So it's one thing to say something like, you know, if you're talking about, uh, you know, using big gear versus small gear, um, you know, if you say, Hey, you know, I've really found that I, you know, by dialing things down that I, I feel more efficient. It's another thing to say, well, you know, Hey, I play large stuff. It's been working for me. Somebody like Arturo plays large stuff. It's working for him. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, have you have you thought about how how you might be able to find the middle ground? That's a different conversation than you know saying, yeah. "Oh, you're just full of shit," because yeah. that's not what I think. So, yeah, exactly. And you know, we see it in every field of endeavor. Oh, absolutely. Know, I'll even see it on like, you know, some of the fitness forums and, and bodybuilding groups on on Facebook, for example. You know, and, and and same thing, they'll do it to even the greatest guy. Somebody will be watching a video of, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or Jake Cutler doing some exercises, and then there's some idiot who wants to chime in and say, oh, they're doing it wrong. Really? I mean, 
you know, yeah. multi-time Mr. Olympias and, and, and who are you? Yeah. Yeah. Where, where are your titles? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, I recently I ran across somebody like uh, talking some crap about some stuff Bobby has said. And I'm like, really? Yeah. yeah. You, you're, you're going to question his, his pedagogy, you know, look, look at what he's done himself. Look at all of the, the, like, it's hard to name a high profile player that hasn't at one point or another talked to Bobby or, you know, gotten consulted, you know, consulted with Bobby about something. Cause he's like the top guru, you know, oh, yeah. he's yeah. the, you know, if, if anybody's having problems that Bobby's the first person they, they seek out. Why? Because they know he knows what he's talking about. You Absolutely. And, and so, you know, if you're, you know, if, if you're playing in, in uh, Podunk, Iowa, and you know, you've never, you've never had a, a full-time road gig or, or anything like that, you never recorded anything. How are you going to question the, the validity of what this guy's saying when he's got all of the proof that you need right yeah. here in front of you? So. Yeah, it's human nature. I, I don't know. Some people just, they can't see the forest through the trees, you know? I can't see the they can't see the force because their head is uh, inserted from exterior. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so let's get off that negativity and get on to this positivity. One of the things yeah. I love about you, uh, besides uh, your dashing good looks, is that um, what you've done with your uh, your career shift and your the focus some of the focus in your life. Um, you know, so many people, because uh, we're, we're about the same age, I think I was a little bit older than you, uh, about a year. Um, people look at, at things like that, the kind of life changes and go, uh, I, I would love to do that, but I'm too old. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm too old to get in shape. I'm too old to get uh, to, to develop some skill on the trumpet. I'm too old to do whatever it is. Uh, but you know, your decision to take control of your body at an age where most people are, you know, that's the furthest thing from their mind. Uh, and to do it at such a high level, uh, that's inspirational to me. I love seeing that. Uh, and so first of all, kudos to you for doing that. Uh, but, you know, do you, have you noticed in yourself uh, that people are starting to to gravitate to you to because of, of the fact that you have made these dramatic shifts in your life at a time when most people are they're, they're looking at the downside of their life and you're still kind of going like what's the next what's the next challenge for me are, are you finding that people are coming to you and and uh, feeling uh, expressing their gratitude or their encouragement uh, uh, for your process and, and saying how that has helped them yeah, you know, actually, it, it happens a lot, and, and and it makes me feel good. And and you know, just like like you said, you know, how we are as people, and our approach to life, and whatever we're doing, it carries over, regardless, you know, of whether it's about music or about bodybuilding. And you know, somebody helped us when we were younger, when we had questions. So I always feel excited, and anyone who's genuinely interested. I love talking shop. I love talking about trumpet or music or leading bands or bodybuilding. And the last few years, because I've, I've done pretty well in the amateur bodybuilding circuit, you know, I, I think I figured it out the other day. I had, um, since 2018, like 17 first place awards and, um, I don't know, six second place and 
three or four third place. And, and I also got second in a national show last summer uh, at the North American Championships. Um, but mostly I just, I love doing this. And I rediscovered that passion uh, when I kind of got lazy about it, honestly, in my 40s. You know, I, as a young man, when I was playing in the Army band right out of high school to save money for college, all the Rocky movies were coming out and Schwarzenegger movies were coming out. So this is, you know, the 80s, right? Um, and I was in crazy good shape back then. I mean, I, I did, I ran on our battalion cross country team. I, I would alternate a weight day and a run day, just alternate back and forth like six days a week. And I go on, on my run days, I'd run anywhere from five to 10 miles. And then weightlifting day back then, I was just doing upper body only. And then I continued that through most of my 20s and 30s. And then during my 40s, um, I started working longer hours uh, when I kind of got out of just playing music full time for a while and I had, you know, the day job. Uh, the first day job career I got into was in the copier industry, office equipment industry. And I poured myself into that just like we do when we're trying to become a good musician, a good trumpet player. And I became like, you know, the top sales guy, you know, and I was winning awards for the number one guy locally or in the country and, and got getting promotions and I was making crazy money, but I wasn't real happy. Right. And I was, I was putting in long hours and I started just eating like crap. And well, let me drink all these great micro brews, these great beers that have come out in Seattle. And let me uh, now think that I'm a fine connoisseur of fine liquors and whiskey and, and, all it took was like 10 years of, of that, where my health really went to hell. You know, I gained a bunch of weight, my cholesterol went through the roof, my triglycerides went through the roof. And so a lot of people can relate to that. And I share that story a lot on some of these fitness forums where I got up to like a bad 270 pounds, not a good 270, a bad 270. And I remember, you know, over time I was coming to the realization, I need to change something. I, I I can't just keep doing this. And one day when I was 50 years old, it was after one of the Tacoma Jazz and Blues Festivals that, that I produced for many years. Um, I said, this is gonna stop. I, I, I'm gonna get back to being healthy again and taking care of myself. And over the next six months, I lost like 60 pounds. I got back down to like 210 and I was I was running and, and lifting weights and, and like, all my health markers came back down, my blood pressure came down, my cholesterol came down, my triglycerides came down, and I was playing a lot more again. And so I was managing to juggle both doing the physical stuff and then uh, the music. And then um, I ended up getting that gig with Con Selmer where it was a full-time sales gig, but it was kind of the best of both worlds. I was still a Bach trumpet artist and a clinician I'm still a band leader. I'm still playing a lot. I'm going out and doing clinics and playing and showing instruments. But then I'm also helping to sell instruments to music stores and schools and things like that. And during that period of time, you know, like you said, you, you if you have the will, you'll make the time, right? So I would get up at like 4.35 in the morning and where, whatever city I was in, I would find a real gym and I'd be in a real gym right around 5 or 5.30 in the morning and I'd get my physical training then, because I was starting to get back into bodybuilding. And then, you know, I'd come back, I'd practice for about 45 minutes in the hotel room, then I'd go visit schools and music stores, and maybe I'd play, maybe I wouldn't at some of those things. 
And then I, I'd come back to the hotel and I'd practice some more in the evening and then do all my emails and all that paperwork stuff. But I had several years where I just, I made it work, right? And, and like Monday was my travel day, Friday was a travel day. So the gym, I would go Saturday and Sunday. And then during the week, whatever city I was in, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'd just find a gym and hopefully like some hardcore bodybuilding gym. Um, and as I got into it more and more, some friends encouraged me to start doing some competitions. And, you know, cause they were like, at the time I was, 56 57 are like dude you you look freaking amazing just you could do this and i'd always wanted to do it when i was younger but i was never fully into the bodybuilding thing and this time around i decided to not think i knew everything about it and i went and i actually trained with two professional bodybuilders one guy was tino robles over in eastern washington and i trained with him for about a year and then another guy was uh, gabe moen over here on this side um and basically they taught me a lot smarter way to really train like a bodybuilder and you know what exercises to do in what order and how to split them up into different days and then most importantly i learned a lot more about nutrition about how to eat clean and you can still enjoy life eating clean and use all kinds of spices for flavors but just don't eat all the sugar and the junk food and you know all the crap that is in the typical you know restaurant diet or whatever um so now i'm rambling i'm kind of losing my train of thought but um you know i think life is interesting how we we take those different paths and um i feel blessed that you know over the years with the band we've done four or five different cds um each one of them at various times hit the top 10 on a lot of jazz radio station playlists in different parts of the country. Um, we've done lots of cool concerts and festivals and guest artists coming to play with us. Um, I've also been lucky that I've been someone here in the Northwest that I would get called a lot to contract pickup musicians when big acts would come through the Seattle area. And so, you know, I'd put together horn sections for the, the Four Tops, the Temptations, the Spinners, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. But then I also have fun with the bodybuilding thing, you know? And so sometimes you think like you've got all these different lives that you've lived, right? From all that to in the military or years when I played on cruise ships or whatever, but it's, it's been an interesting trip, you know? And you can do more than one thing well, if you wanna make the time and the effort to do it. Um, and the main thing is, Try to be good at whatever you do and have some fun along the way and be a good mentor. Just like somebody helped us, try and return the favor and help somebody else. And if they ask you questions, I think getting back to your, your original question, I took a long way around it. But the health thing, uh, there are a lot of guys who relate to that. That, yeah, when they were younger, they were in shape. And then by their 40s, you know, they're overweight. All their health markers are terrible. And then they see me, almost 61 now in a few weeks, and they'll ask me, well, how do you do it? And, and I, I encourage them and I tell them, look, I keep it simple, right? I, I reduce it to something that's easy to follow and easy to understand. And so for me, I know there's some people in the bodybuilding community that, that they will count macros, right? How much protein do I have? How, much, how many fats do I have? How many carbs do I have in a day? And 
let me get out a scale and make sure this is exactly six ounces of chicken and that's you know four ounces of rice and and all this stuff and i did that for a while and it drove me nuts right uh and then a lot of them will say you gotta eat six times a day well not every bodybuilder ate six times a day and so and it's not always convenient if you have a life that's busy so you know i just i reduced it down to the ridiculous that um i'm gonna make sure every meal features some kind of protein chicken fish steak or eggs some kind of veggies and then maybe a starch like rice or potatoes or sweet potatoes something in there uh drink mostly water um try to avoid all the junk food and the sugar and crap like that but you know eat till you're full and, and content but eat good eat good food uh and then with the gym stuff you know you can look amazing even with four days a week in a gym you don't have to go six days a week or seven days a week so i'll share information like that i've even helped guys and help them design a workout and, and give them a little bit more specific ideas about their diet. Um, but I, I, I just, I enjoy being helpful on that. Just like with trumpet playing, when I've had people ask me questions about how do I approach the trumpet, I'm happy to share the information. And it's because somebody shared it with me at one time. Somebody was gracious enough to share that with me. So that's just a better way to go through life. Anyway, sorry for the long answer. Oh, no, no, it's a great, it's a great answer. It's, it's a great answer. And that's, you know, I think in terms of like the, my vision for, for what I, I try to do with this podcast is just what you were just talking about is getting inside the heads of people and, you know, it, understanding that there's more to what we do than just the tucka 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 kind of stuff, you know, that, that they're, there is um there's a passion behind it there's there's a science there's an art there's all these different things that come into it but i think that that what tends to set us set the higher achievers apart from people that are the, the also rands is that willingness to seek out help and to develop a a uh consistent and strategic approach to what they do exactly um, you know, and, and even, you know, I've said this countless times, you know, even the people that, that we call, you know, so-called naturals, you know, if we were talking about trumpet, you know, some people talk about, you know, uh, well, this, this person, they're just natural. They're just natural. Like, you know, Wayne is one of those people that people will all, well, he was playing, you know, loud ass double C's when he was, you know, in seventh grade and like, yeah, but you know, if you, if, if you talk to Wayne, you know, he's, he will also tell you that there's a whole lot of stuff he had to learn how to do and particularly when he started to, to run into chop problems he had to figure out how to fix what he didn't he didn't even understand how he was doing it so then he had to learn how he was doing it so that he could fix it so that he could continue to improve and and, and build his career so yeah. and, and he's a great example of all those things um you know i knew him as a young man because we both grew up in southern california and um i remember playing some reading bands with him and and, you know, all as great as he was, all the great things that he did, uh, if people have really watched him over his career, how much he's blossomed and become even better and even better, you know, for a long time, because he had those kind of chops, everybody just wanted him to play lead. And he was just playing lead. And then as his solo career started really becoming a, more and more of a thing, he really started working on his improvisation and his jazz. And, you know, he's freaking great at it. 
you know, and, and so, you know, even later in life, he decided, you know what, I, I've achieved this level on all these other aspects of playing now. I want to do that with my jazz, with my improvisation. And he's freaking doing it. So, you know, I, I think even like you said, when people say, well, that guy's just a natural. No, he's also worked his butt off, right? So, you know, they might just see the moment in the show and just think, oh, look at that. But they, they people don't always see the rest of the iceberg, the rest of the work that went into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's figuring out what you got to work with and, and making it work for you. You know, even, you know, like physical skills, uh, you know, there are certain people, certainly people that, that their metabolisms uh, tend to be naturally, you know, very high or very low, or, you know, they, they have a lot of fast twitch muscle fiber or, you know, all, all these different things that may predisposition them to have certain levels of achievement. But still, if you don't do the work, you're not going to get there. You know, you're not having exactly. And you can overcome, in my belief, you can overcome pretty much any limitation. Uh, it may be hard to play trumpet if you don't have any lips, but you know, it, you, you, you can overcome almost any limitation if you have uh, the right resources, uh, you know, the people surrounding you, the, you know, the, the, the skills and the knowledge of other people, and you just have a tenacious don't back down attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you had to give uh, one piece of advice uh, for someone who wanted to to start uh, a physical journey, uh, you know, health wellness journey uh, at, a, at the latter stages of their life, you know, for, for those of us who are in the AARP uh, group, uh, you know, I, I know what I would tell someone. But, you know, what, what would you say is like, okay, well, if you, if you really are serious about trying to get yourself into, into better shape, here's, here's the one or two things that, that you should start doing today. Yeah. So, and I've, I've helped people in that exact, with that exact question, or that exact circumstance. And I think the main thing is picking a level that you can accomplish some things, but not be completely overwhelmed by it. Particularly as an adult, we're already busy with a lot of other things we're set in our ways so i'll usually encourage people don't think you're just going to go out tomorrow and start training at the gym two hours a day seven days a week because you will burn out you're not used to it you'll get frustrated you'll think this sucks right and i've got no life so my thing usually has been tell people do like a four-day split you know do like monday tuesday take wednesday off do thursday friday and then take the weekend off the weekend decompress, go out to a park, go to the beach, go play softball, enjoy your family. But that Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, devote at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half to, all right, I'm in the gym. I'm serious about it now. And you'd be amazed what you can get done, even in just those four days out of the week. Um, And I'll, I'll help them design like, okay, let's say Monday is leg day. Let's say Tuesday is chest and triceps. Wednesday is rest. Thursday, you're going to do back and biceps, and Friday, you're going to do shoulders and abs. And then if you want to do a little cardio, do it after the weightlifting. Don't do it before. Uh, it's a lot easier to do the cardio after, in my opinion, uh, because when you do the cardio before, depending on the amount of cardio you do, you feel a little too tired to really give the effort you should on the weights. So I tell them that. And then when they're expecting me to give them this super regimented count every last calorie and every ounce of fat and every carb and 
you know, every protein. Um, I said, let's just keep it simple, right? Let's make sure that you just start eating clean. Every meal, egg, some kind of protein, eggs, chicken, fish, or steak, some veggies, and then maybe like a starch, like some rice, maybe potatoes. If you're going to have bread, try to eat wheat bread or something like that, because white bread in particular is full of sugar. It's just the worst. Um, give up the alcohol if you can, or just do it one day a week, but try to get away from the drinking, because that does screw, I don't care how much you work out, that does screw you up. Get away from that. Get away from, um, you know, just the excessive junk food and sugar, but keep it simple. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to make healthy choices. I can use all kinds of spices for flavor. Life's still good. It's still fun. And once every couple of weeks or so, if you're just jonesing for a cheeseburger, go ahead and have the cheeseburger. Don't do it every damn day, though, right? Um, so that's my simple thing is keep it manageable, like four days a week, you know, during the week. Weekends are still yours. Go enjoy your family. Enjoy life. You know, get out and just decompress and eat healthy 99% of the time and you're good. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice would you give uh give a uh, someone who wanted to get serious about the trumpet playing? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think having a great teacher, right? and trying to find the right combination of, of practice time. And then you got to have some kind of performance during the week, whether it's rehearsals and or gigs. So my simple formula for that is try to be playing, you know, two or three nights a week at some kind of rehearsal or gig. And it more is fine. In addition to your practicing, you know, so that way you're kind of covering both bases. And if you can be around other good players, be in the best quality groups that you can be in, I think that rubs off on you and it makes you, you know, push yourself a little harder. Um, a good teacher is always helpful. Um, so that would be my advice, you know, and, and yeah. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, how you do anything is how you do everything, you know, and I, I think sometimes we, we set ourselves up for failure when we when we take on these tasks because uh, we we want to we want to dive in with both you know both feet you know head first in some ways but um, a lot of times that whatever we we choose to do is not sustainable and that's when we start to run into frustration you know yeah and and if you become frustrated and then you just give up totally that's not what you wanted you wanted you wanted. Do it in a way that you can be good at it, be consistent at it, and not burn out on it. And yeah. now you'll do it over an extended period of time, and you'll reap much better, much greater rewards because of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, you you mentioned earlier uh, about you know, your your gig with Con Selmer, um, and and that's how I you know I first met you. I met you at uh, ITG, and we were just all kind of hanging out, and you were you were there repping repping Con Selmer, um, but uh, you know. 
when you were working with them, uh, I'm sure you have had plenty of great experiences and great stories uh, to share. Uh, maybe some that you can't share uh, until statutes of limitations have, have expired uh, for some of these things. But uh, you know, what what's some of the benefits that, that you got personally out of out of that gig, and and um, you know how how has that helped to shape your approach to things? You know, I, I think for me, um, it helped me combine a couple things that I was kind of passionate about and, and be more focused on just music in general and being around music people again, because there was a number of years where I, I just played full time. I, I did a little bit of teaching. And then there was the dark period, I like to call it, where um, I thought, you know, I'm just going to go into the business world. I'm going to just quit this music nonsense, right? And I quit playing trumpet for like five years and it was awful, you know, and, but I poured myself into the sales job in the office equipment industry and I was good at it. I mean, just applying those same principles of how we work hard at trumpet playing, how we work hard at anything. You work hard at anything and smart at anything, usually good things happen. So I was making crazy money, but I, I couldn't even listen to my stereo. I, I'd get too bummed out. I couldn't listen to music. And then at one point, uh, really a pretty wonderful trumpet player himself, a guy named Dave Myers, came to work for me, and he had a similar story. He was getting to the point where he was subbing regularly with the Utah Symphony and was really a very talented trumpet player. And then, you know, he got married, had a bunch of kids, and decided he'd go work for Western Union, and then he was working with me at Minolta. And so he and I were both you know, winning all the sales awards. And, but we're like, we got to do something for us and like have our own life again. And he said, let's just go find some community college band and let's just go down to the intersection. Let's just hang out and play. And, you know, just low profile, just have fun again. No stress. So we went down to uh, Pierce Community College and he and I walk into the concert band rehearsal. We go all the way down to the end of the trumpet section. We sit down at the end of the third trumpets and we're having fun, and but I, the director pretty quickly figured out that we could play, right? And he's like, hey, what's going on with you guys? Oh, nothing, man. I'm just playing third trumpet. And so eventually, you know, he ends up putting us both on on first trumpet. And and then some friends heard I was playing again in Seattle. Well, hey, can you sub for this Motown thing? Can you sub for this? Can you? And before I knew it, I was back to playing again. But now this time, I was, my mind was right again. And I was really starting to have fun again. And... At one point, I went, I got so busy. I was playing every kind of band you can think of around Seattle. Um, and I started booking people because I was good at managing our own band. And so I had a booking agency. And at one point, I just went to doing that full time, just playing and, and running my booking agency. And so I walk into Minolta and I tell them, you know, I, I'm resigning effective today. And like, oh, wait, you, you want more money? What, what's going on? Are you going to Xerox? No, I'm going to go play the trumpet, man. And I'm like, what? Right? And so, you know, I went back into that for a couple of years. But when the con summer thing came up, to me, it was an opportunity to have the best of both worlds. I knew I had these music skills. I also knew I had these sales and business skills. And uh, I remember kind of seeking out this opportunity. I thought, you know what? If, if I could be a factor rep for one of these manufacturers, I could kind of combine my passions, my music and the business thing. And that would probably be more gratifying and satisfying. 
So I, I the first, right, I contacted all of them around the same time. I contacted Yamaha and I talked to Roger Eaton. And uh, at the time, uh, Holton and LeBlanc was still its own separate company from Consumer. So I contacted Sal Cardello. Um, and then a little bit later, I ran into John Stoner at one of the NAMM shows where I was just there as a Bach artist. And so the thing with Sal and Holton LeBlanc, um, you know, great opportunity, great job, great people, great history company, but they really weren't paying their sales guys a lot, especially if you're on the road that much, right? And so I told Sal, I, I, it just wasn't the right situation. And Roger at the time, Yamaha was full up and steady. They didn't really have any openings. And then I ran into uh, John Stoner and I just walked up to him and I said, you know, he knew that I was an artist. Um, and I said, but I got all this unusual business background and I kind of showed him a thing with my sales achievements and, and awards and stuff. And the conversation got going and I said, you know, I think I'd be a good asset where I could still be an active player, artist, clinician, but also a great district manager for you. If you agree with me, I think it'd be a great deal. So he ended up offering me at the time, California, and you know my wife and I are originally from California, from Southern California, uh, Huntington Beach area, and um, I tried to get my wife to agree to move back there, and at the time she didn't want to move back to California, she just wanted to stay here in Washington. So after two weeks of trying, I, I gave up, and I called John back, and went, oh, sorry, Mr. Stoner, I can't do it, blah, 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 and I thought that was going to be the end of it. Well, then a few months later, he calls me, the phone rings, and says, Hey, the Northwest is open. Would you like it? Yeah, I'm in. And it became a great opportunity where I was able to, you know, be around all the things that I like because I'd done some teaching. So I'm around teachers. I'm around kids who love music and, and want to be inspired and get better at it. I'm around professional musicians who are some of the artists that we're trying to market our professional instruments to. I'm around music store owners who they want these great solutions um, for, uh, their customers. And uh, I was still able to do clinics. I was still able to stay busy with my band. I was able to structure my schedule and my travel around all of those things and make it all work versus, you know, some full-time jobs where, you know, you got to be in this one cubicle eight hours a day, no matter what. Right. So for me, it was a, a really a great overall opportunity. And I spent 15 years doing that. Uh, and I love it. It was one of the best parts of my multi-career life, I guess. And um, I made good money at it. I invested smart um, and a little bit of luck along the way. And, and I was able to retire at 59 years old. Um, and so now I have the luxury of just, now I, I can do just the bodybuilding thing and the trumpet playing thing where you know, before I was doing all those things, you know, like I told you, I'd be up at like 4.30 in the morning and go to the gym, work all day, practice, and you're trying to juggle all those things and still produce concerts and festivals and CDs and what have you, but uh, it's worked out good. It's been a good life, and uh, I've been blessed that some people helped me out along the way and gave me the opportunity to show that I could do it, and I'm forever grateful. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, and one of the things that I, I love about that is that it shows that you know, there's always something that you can do in the music industry uh, that can highlight your own unique skill sets. So, mm -hmm. 
um, it's not just you, you can only be a full-time performer or you can only be uh, an educator. Uh, you know, there are so many different things that, that are necessary, you know, booking, promotions, uh, you know, artist management, the, the sales work that you're doing, repping, repping manufacturers, uh, doing design, all, you know, all of those things, those are necessary things before, for the music industry and trumpeters specifically to, to have it there you know, available to them. And somebody, that's a job somebody's got to do. So um, I think it, it's kind of encouraging when people are, are looking for, you know, how do I do this? How, how do I make music what I, a, a bigger part of my life? Well, yeah. here's a solution for you. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and lastly, you and I both know guys like this over the years. When, you know, when you're really young, at first you think I got to be a full-time player only, or I got to be a teacher only, I got to do this only. And over the years, you come to run into a lot of people that at some point, maybe they did do that for a while, but now then they got their day job, their family, whatever, but they still play on a very high level. Every city you go to, there's people that are have some kind of office job or they're a lawyer or a doctor or a policeman or whatever, and they still play their ass off because music is still an important part of their life. They still make the time to do it and to do it on a high level. So I used to tell kids that all the time, like at these clinics, it's not just, this is my only choice, playing or teaching, you know, and you've spent all this time, you've become, you know, a certain skill level and ability level on the instrument. And if you love it, if you have a passion for it, you can do this through your whole life and it doesn't only have to be in this box or this box. Right. So, um, that's a beautiful thing. And, and we know lots of guys like that who are incredible players that have other businesses and, and they still play their butts off. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know for me, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was playing full time back in the eighties and I got burnt out. Mm -hmm. So burnt out because it was playing, you know, six nights a week, 48 weeks a year. And, you know, music was something, you know, my trumpet was my, my therapist and my best friend when I was younger. It's like, if I had a good day that I couldn't wait to get home and get the horn out of the case and play. Mm -hmm. And a bad day, I couldn't wait to get home to get the horn out of the case to play because it made me feel better. But yeah. when, when you're, when that's all you do, then it's suddenly the thing that you look to for your release is now your job. And it's, yeah, you know, especially when you're, you know, in your twenties, uh, it was, it was really difficult for me because I, I felt like I lost, I lost the passion in some ways for it. And now, you know, that I'm, I'm in my sixties, uh, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm playing better now than I've ever played in my life. And I enjoy what I'm doing so much more. You know, because it's it's something that I'm choosing to do, and uh, it, it's having those life experiences and be able to to say, okay, this is just this is a part of my life, uh, and it's an expression of who I am. But it's not I, I'm not just Jose the trumpet player. It's it's just yeah. you know an expression of one of my facets. So yeah, amen to that. And I, I I feel like I went through a similar thing when I at that point when I left playing for a while. It was the same thing. I was a little burnout, frustrated. My brother was making crazy money in sales. I thought I'm at least as smart as my brother is. And, and but it was, there's a reason why it happened at that time, just because I was not in the right mental place, you know, as far as my music stuff. 
And then getting away from it and then coming back to it gradually like I did, then it just became fun again. And I started thinking more about, I'm going to play the music I want to play. I'm going to play the music that brings me joy and happiness. And I'm going to produce more of my own band stuff, more of my own festivals. And I'm going to help put together horn sections for shows. And, and so I, I got back to doing it more on my own terms again, and it became fun again versus feeling like, okay, I'm at the factory. I got to play yet another reggae gig. And, you know, here I am at another salsa gig all night long. You know, just, I got back to doing what I wanted to do and it became much more fun again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not, I guess the, the thing is it's not always fun, you know, like the, the stuff you got to do is not always fun, but if you can, when you can understand that it's just part of the process that you have to go through, you know, it's like, you know, when, when you're doing that, that last rep in the gym, it's not the most fun rep. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But but if it's part of getting you to your overall goal, then you know you're able to do it. Exactly. Still, still not be miserable. Right? Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's the uh, accepting uh, accept, accepting the the work that has to be embracing the suck, as I like to say. <laughs> well, you know, um, we got a, a few uh, basic uh, recurring segments that I have on the show, and I want to get through those before we say uh, okay. Today. Uh, and uh, the first one is uh, called Sound Off, and it's brought to us by uh, Michael Barkley of Barkley Microphones. Um, it's about your approach to sound. Uh, and you know, as someone who has uh, worked in so many different uh, venues, you know, being a, a freelancer, being a band leader, uh, and you know, when you're booking horn sections, you have to be acutely aware of the sound that's required for those kind of gigs. Um, so, I mean, how do, how do you approach uh, sound and, and like, what, what are you looking for and how do you help people to understand uh, the sound concepts, concepts that are necessary for the kind of music that you play? Um, you know, a lot of times I'll, if I have the luxury of communicating with the sound crew ahead of time, which is always nice, um, a lot of times I'll share them, I'll share examples of, here's the, here's what the band Sounds like ideally. Here's kind of my idea of what a proper mix should sound like. Um, and you know, where that came from was we've all had this experience. Sometimes when you're playing these community festivals or uh, some concert in the park series or whatever, and you get the random sound crew and some of those guys were amazing and they could make your horn sound very authentic and properly in the mix and everything else. And then other times, they turn the kick drum up to like 11, right, on the on the drum kit, and they'd have the horns buried in the mix or the, the EQ set where it doesn't sound like the instrument naturally sounds. So whenever I could, I would try to get to know those guys and share with them, look, here's the sound concept. This is the style of music. This is what we like. And so getting good about communicating that without sounding bossy or arrogant um, so that you win over the sound crew, I think is really very, very important, you know, and, and otherwise you're just at the mercy of the crew or if you piss them off, well, you're, you're going to be screwed anyway. So try to be nice, try to phrase it nice, give them some good tangible examples. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah. Well, that, uh, man, if, if you're working in the commercial field, Sound man can be your best friend or your worst enemy. And, Amen. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's better to have them on your side. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Cool. Uh, next segment is uh, called Geared Up and it's brought to us by uh, Venture Mouthpieces Venture, where technology, design, and craftsmanship intersect. Use the code TrumpetGurus21 at checkout and get 10% off your order. Uh, this is about gear and being a uh, former uh, rep for Consumer. I'm sure you have plenty of things to say about gear, but uh, as opposed to hawking a particular, you know, like, oh, you need to play this horn. Uh, when you're trying to educate someone on the process of choosing gear, uh, what what are some of the things that you think are crucial uh, for choosing that right equipment for the job at hand? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So, you know, without getting into any brand things, um, I think really it, it comes down to you want to try a variety of, of quality instruments and you can narrow that list down, you know, by finding some different brands that have good reputations. But for me, it's always about the sound and the feel. I need both of those. I can't have something that sounds great, but it feels awful. I can't have something that feels great, but it sounds awful. So I want to find that particular trumpet that for me sings and, and doesn't feel too restrictive. And so in my instance, the style of music I play, and maybe it's also just physically, I'm 6'2", 230 pounds. And I've always been, I always gravitated towards like a, a little bit larger bore trumpet. For me, that works. Some guys, they prefer medium large, but you got to do what's right for you. Uh, and then same thing with the mouthpiece. Find the one that you can do the widest variety of material on and feel comfortable. Um, I know there are guys who will prove me wrong on this and they've got in their mouthpiece bag, five different mouthpieces. And for this kind of music, I play this one and this kind of music, I play that one. And I've never been really, I don't know, super comfortable switching back and forth like that. And some guys are, and they sound like a million bucks. So I think you figure out what your approach and what your comfort level is. And maybe you do that, or maybe you do like I do. And I try to find one that covers the widest ground possible so that I can mostly play the one. Now, that doesn't mean that I, if I go to a church orchestra gig, I won't still pull out a 3C or a one and a half c once in a while just to try and match the rest of the orchestra players. Um, but I mostly tend to play one mouthpiece that I feel like covers a lot of ground for me. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's, that is super solid advice. All right, so we have one final segment to get through, and uh, this is the Robinson's Remedy Rapid Fire Round, brought to us by our good friend, uh, Kenny Robinson. Uh, rapid relief for your sore and tired chops. Uh, maybe talk to them about making some, uh, some ointment for uh, post-workout post recovery and muscle stiffness. I'll, I'll talk <laughs> um, But yeah, it's just a series of questions that kind of goes all over the place, uh, and uh, I just need your quickest response. So. Okay. Mr. Rich, are you ready for this one? Uh, I hope so. Let's see. <laughs> okay. Here you go. First question. Who is the biggest influence in your life that is not a trumpet player? Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right. What's your favorite book? That's a great question. Um, you know, I... I, I Obviously, when you're in school, you have to read a lot of books. Um, 
but I'm not a big book person. I, I watch a lot of movies since then, but, um, you know, I, I, you know, you, it usually was something based on, on true history, some kind of historical thing. I always liked those. All right. Uh, speaking of movies, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? The worst movie? Um, God, I just, I just saw one the other day. It was like one of those sci-fi B movies. I'm, I'm totally going blank on it, but it was so bad. It was, it was hilarious. I can't remember the name of it now, but it was, yeah. Some of those old, like 50s and 60s B movies, sci-fi movies. Yeah, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, Plan yeah. B, Outer Space. Those. Yeah, those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. All right, uh, if you, well, this might be a, a no-brainer. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Uh, a bodybuilder or a professional football player. Yeah. All right, what's your favorite drink? You know, it used to be an old-fashioned, like made the genuine way, right? You know, with muddling the sugar cubes and the orange rind and all that. And um, But since I've pretty much got away from alcohol, like almost entirely for the last five years, I hardly ever have any. Um, you know, now I'd probably say, you know, probably like a, a monster energy drink that has zero sugar in it. That's kind of my new go-to when I want something other than just water. So. All right. Um, you're going to have a dinner party and you can invite any three living people. We'll exclude, you know, your, your family, uh, but any three living people you could have at this dinner party, who would you want to spend the evening talking with? I would want, um, Arturo Sandoval. Well, I almost think I need four. Lynn Nicholson, Walt Johnson, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right. I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, <laughs> now you've got three additional chairs at the table. You can have any three people from history. So any three people no longer with us. Maynard Ferguson, Harry James, Louis Armstrong. Okay, good deal. Lacquer, plated, or raw? These days, I'm kind of a lacquer guy. It's just low maintenance, and it sounds fine to me. All right. What is your favorite quote? It's not going to fall from the sky. You have to earn it. All right. What is your greatest fear? Failure due to lack of effort. All right. You could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Oh, man. Um, to play trumpet like my heroes play. That's a good superpower. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you think is the most overrated? Oh, man. You know, I, that's a hard question to answer because, you know, it's like, what's, what's the most overrated? What's the most underrated? There's so many different aspects to it. And I, I think they're all important. They're all valuable and, and they're all exciting in the right moment, in the right context. So certain styles of music, that fiery screaming over the top, powerful trumpet thing, man, that's amazing. Now in the wrong style of music, eh, right? That's kind of crazy. And then other styles, man, that kind of Freddie Hubbard, 
Chet Baker, real kind of male lyrical, you know, hip creativity thing. So I don't know that I could say there's like one thing that I would say is overrated or underrated. I think it depends on the style of music we're playing. Does that, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, I'll skip my next question, which is what do you think is the most underrated? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we'll go into the next question, which is um, you could go back in time Mm -hmm. and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Never give up. Be creative in how you're going to get there. All right. And you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life. Be a quality human being first. Be a good person. Be a good example. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And be an honorable man. All right. And a final question for you, Rich. What do you want your legacy to be? You know, if anybody thinks about me for a little while after I'm gone, I would just want it to be that he was a quality human being. He was a good friend. He was a good musician. He was good in the bodybuilding community. Uh, But most of all, he was a good human being. He was a good friend. All right. Well, I will uh, cast my vote for that. You're a good friend. So Mm -hmm. uh, you're... You're on your way to that. And well, same to you. I, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me today. And uh, I certainly, as I, I said before, I, I have been very inspired by your journey and your transformation. And uh, I, I applaud you on your, your diligence and your dedication uh, to that. And I uh, certainly find that to be a, an inspiration uh, to me personally. And I certainly hope that uh, to, the, to the audience that we have here that... Uh, someone's life has been touched by by your story and that uh you know if you're out there and you're like me and rich and you're you're in that that uh 50 plus age range it's not too late it's not too late to make a change in your life you just got to decide what what you want it to be and then just commit to it so uh i encourage you to reach out to rich uh his contact information is in the show notes uh definitely follow him and uh you know if you get a chance to to meet him and talk with him Make sure you buy him a monster energy drink and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, you know, I, I'm sure that, that, uh, you, you will be inspired by him just like I have. So, uh, thanks again, Rich, for your time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the hang. Make sure you like subscribe, share this with your friends, your families, your neighbor, um, your enemies. I don't care. Just share it with somebody. And, uh, you know, just, uh, if you have questions, comments, please, uh, reach out to me, uh, ideas for a guest, ideas for a topic. I'm always looking for some help on this. Uh, So until the next time, folks, peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. 
Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal, and our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group.